Tucked away in a shopping center beside the Pan-African bookstore, not far from South Oak Cliff High School, is a green neon sign that says Four Oak Cliff. It's the logo of a community center, founded and led by Taylor Toynes. Taylor's a partner here at Commit and a lifelong member of the community. And last month, he was kind enough to introduce me to his grandmother, who moved to this neighborhood in 1944 and ran a store with her husband in the same shopping center for over 30 years. I wanted to talk to Margaret Benson to hear what it was like to attend a Dallas high school in the years immediately following the Brown versus Board of Education decision. A few of the answers to those specific questions were invaluable to an upcoming episode of our podcast, The Miseducation of Dallas County. But Mrs. Benson's story extends far beyond that one moment in time. And in the hour we spent together, she spoke on education, segregation, social life, and the history of her neighborhood, the historic 10th Street District, or as she calls it, the Hills. So while you anxiously await our next episode, which will air alongside the relaunch of Commit's website on January 26th, here is a snapshot of the city of Dallas in transition, as told by an eyewitness. I was joined by Taylor and his daughter, Mrs. Benson's great-granddaughter, Winnie. She slept through most of it. And even Taylor had some things to learn. Except four years ago. I was from Rosebud, Texas. What? I'm from Rosebud, Texas. I didn't know that. I'm a country girl. No, you're not. Yes, I am. How long you lived there? Four years. You a city girl. Okay, I'll accept that. Okay, <laughs> I'll accept that. So what, what brought your family from the country to the city? A better life. A better life. Um, my granddaddy... Uh, was there, and all of his children were there. My granddaddy decided, I guess in those times, that the head of the the house would pretty much dictate whatever. So, you have six boys, I think it was, and four girls, yeah. So, he decided that life would be better. Of course, one stayed back until a certain time, and then he came. He followed. And back in that time, everybody wanted to, every family helped one another. One would come, the other have already gotten settled. They would open the doors for the other brothers. And the oldest son was a minister, so he had pretty much settled here did a lot of real estate. He was quite successful. So, naturally, then the dad and all the other brothers followed because he made it possible for them. It was in the neighborhood. I'm from East Oak Cliff over on the other side. That's pretty much where we settled, from Compton, Landers, to Betterton Circle, and Alcox was on Ninth Street, all pretty much in the same area. So we were Coxes, and everybody called us the Coxes Army. 
because it was so many of us. My dad was a father of four. Ella Cox was the father of, I think, four. My uncle Meshack had a family of 12. Martha had a family of four. That was, oh, and my uncle Leon had a family of two. Later on, he remarried because his wife was deceased. And he remarried, had two children first with the first wife, four with the second wife. So that was a family of six. Very nice neighborhood. Of course, it had to, the streets were nothing but sand. Eventually, as the years went by, I guess when I was maybe eight, nine, somewhere in that area, they paved the streets and made sidewalks and drives. And it was a very nice neighborhood. And the neighbors all worked together at the time. And as I remember, one of the neighbors, Mr. William, he worked at a nursery. So he bought a lot of trees, and the families would buy trees from him and plant. And it made a beautiful neighborhood. I remember my first day of school, went to N.W. Harley. That was on ninth. My first grade teacher, I remember her name, Mrs. Graderton. My second grade teacher, I remember her. Mrs. Washington, Mrs. McLemore, as I moved on up, I know my teachers. And the most memorable person that was in the school as I was growing up was my principal, Mr. Pemberton, H.B. Pemberton. A very firm man. Mm. Back then, you could spank the children, but my dad didn't allow him to spank his girls. The boy, fine, but not the girls. Then I had another teacher. We had we had portable buildings for the lower class. When we couldn't go out when it was raining, we had a shed that we played under. We called it, uh, yeah, we called it the shed. And we had little cubby holes, little holes for us to put our books and everything in. We had little merry-go-rounds, and you'd go round and round. That was fun when I was young, but I can't stand to go around. As I got older, I couldn't stand it. We played base, uh, softball. And, of course, when we were uh, had to stay in, we had a playroom that we would go to. We would play checkers. Didn't play dominoes. But, of course, I knew how because my dad loved dominoes. It was just a fun time for me growing up at uh, Arnie because as I got up in the grades, I thought I was really the big thing at the school. You were the smartest one. I tried to be. (laughs) (laughs) They have changed it up so. Mm -hmm. Because when I was growing up, we had a whole playground on this new part where they've added to the school. We had... Um, we had all of this equipment for us to play on, but they don't have that anymore. Yeah, so they they've got a playground area in the back, but it's so small. It's it is kind of small. <laughs> it's small. 
And we would play, it was a little, we would sit over close to the graveyard when we wanted to relax or whatever with our friends. We'd sit there because it was still on the school ground, but you had the, the, um, the graveyard next to it. And uh, we weren't allowed over the fence. And the teachers were pretty strict. They were watching you on that playground. And then there was a movie close by. It was called The Show Hill. Everything was on the show. We had a store up there. We had the movies. We had a record shop. Oh, and the entertainers, when they would come into town on that show hill, they had apartment buildings over the record shop. And it was a barber shop. Uh, it was a. It was just a little strip of different stores and things, and they had uh, apartments for, let's say, if Donna Washington came into town, she would live there because you know they hadn't opened things up for blacks, so they had to, the entertainers had to rent. I guess that was a hotel, motel, or whatever. So they had to live there. And, of course, my uncle, uh, Reverend Cox, was instrumental in having a lot of entertainers of spiritual music to come, and that's where they would stay. So, like Rosetta Thorpe, that's where they would go. That's where they would go. And everything they needed was right in the area. Store, uh, barbecue, rocket shop with hamburgers and ice cream and so everything was there that they needed. And um, I just enjoyed my my days in growing up. You know, not knowing what I know now, but my dad was always striving for his children to do better. My dad was a, was a bartender at... Um, he didn't always work there. He started out, he worked at the flour mill. Then he worked at the paper mill. I remember all of this. The paper mill. Then he worked for the Dallas Morning News. And then when they opened Oak Cliff Bank, of course it wasn't Oak Cliff Bank. I think it was Republic Bank. And my dad got the job. When they first opened the building up, he was recommended because my daddy knew so many people. A lot of people. He knew the presidents of the bank. He knew uh, uh, John Connolly used to come up to the to the club up there, on off of uh, Jefferson there. Uh, of course, I have a ten dollar bill that John Connolly signed underneath his signature because he was a secretary of treasurer, and he signed underneath that. And I still have that tonight, Bill. I've had it for years. And uh, by him being a bartender, it was hard for him to get insurance on his car. They said that daddy probably was an alcoholic. My daddy didn't drink. My mother didn't drink. So consequently, none of us drank. And the president of the bank up there, they told, told them that daddy did not drink. He was a sober man came to work on, you know, he was he put a word in and daddy got his insurance. Otherwise he wouldn't have been able to get it. Because being a bartender they think that you're not calling. Mm-hmm. And so many of my family they had their own business. 
my aunt had a store. My aunt uh, was a nurse. She had her own services. My uncle Leon was the manager of Cliff Country Club. Mm -hmm. And let me say this like this. The reason why he was is because of his color. He was no, not. Keep it real. That was racist. They wanted to hire a fair-skinned man. And they wanted. They wanted. Um, if they had known he was black, he wouldn't have gotten the job. He was uh, light-skinned yeah, enough. Yeah, very. Mm. His mother, my grandmother, was. Mm. My granddaddy was Indian. That's a mixture, and as I have told Taylor, uh, somewhere down the line, you're going to have a blue-eyed baby. He says, no. <laughs> well, you have to admit, we do have some that has come along, and they are fair. Of course, I am complexion of my mother. All of them were lighter than me, but mm. I'm proud of this color. Mm. But... He still lived in the neighborhood. And like my uncle, uh, Reverend Cox, he was very fair. My daddy was fair. His sisters were fair. So, just a mixture. But I loved my family, irregardless. And, and with my grandmother, I lived with her as I was growing up as a little girl. I, I would stay with her because she lived... On North, if you knew the streets, you come into North from Clarendon, from North Street into Betterton Circle, so that we was all right in a circle as family. You you were in the army and you had your base set up. Oh yes, there. we did. <laughs> That's awesome. We did. So you went to Harley, yeah, for elementary, mm -hmm. and then where did you go to middle school? We went right into high school. I started out in Lincoln, and I went there for two years. And then uh, they opened Madison up. It was Forest Avenue High School, and they gave it to us, to the blacks. And we renamed the school. Uh, our principal did, Mr. Thomas Talbot. He, he selected the name. Very good. Stern, stern principal. At Lincoln, he was our English teacher. And he moved from there. When they opened the school, he was the principal. And he was firm. He was firm. The kids came there, and they wanted to be rowdy. He didn't stand for that. And he was no taller than this. He was short man. But I think that shortness... He made up for it with his mouth. <laughs> oh, boy. He was a good principal. He really was. And we selected our mascot. We had some young ladies that did the school song. I never liked it. When I went to Lincoln, that was a beautiful song. Words were meaning to me. And even when I graduated high school, I got me a Lincoln ring rather than Madison ring mm -hmm. because that's where I started out, Lincoln. So, and I still have my ring. Yeah. 
it's it's a nice song, but I don't like it. I don't think I even learned the words to that song. <laughs> I did, but Lincoln's song is so pretty. Uh, I went to high school in 1954. They changed that because, first of all, our schools were overcrowded. But they sent some of the kids to Wheatley School over in, in South Dallas. You had to have a certain borderline that you were in because you had the height, you had the bottom, you had the, what I call my area, the hills. But all of them had, you had to split it up. The boundaries were split up. It was still crowded because I tell you, we were in such a, it was such a tight area. We had so many kids. Like I say, the bottom, the heights, the, so I call it the hills, and it was another place because that was back across Ewing Street. So it was a lot of kids. And then on the elementary school, that was after I finished high school, they opened up uh, Roger Q. Mills for the younger children to attend. But as I started growing, start learning, then it kind of got, you know, it, it, it kind of did a little something to me to know that these kids could have this and they'd have that because W.T. White was our, our uh, superintendent. And when Lincoln High School wanted to go to a certain area to play a white school out of the city, he did not give permission for that. So we were not considered as champs because I think we would have whipped them. <laughs> we would have whipped them, but... Well, and it's interesting because you mentioned you started going to high school in 1954, uh-huh. which is when, you know, we think of Brown versus Board of Education, but, yeah. but you did not ever go to a school that was integrated. No. No, I didn't. Because I loved school. So during the the summer, I would tell my mother and dad, let me go to summer school. I didn't have to, but I wanted to go. Well, that was one incident, and I kept going after. After the first year, I kept going. We had a teacher, Mr. Lockhart, and I was a feisty little girl. I won't say bad. I was a feisty little girl. When you don't need to hear this, Taylor, but when I was in school, I was kind of rebellious. But I knew better than to go too far because my dad didn't. He didn't put up with that. But anyway, we had a practice. The teacher that was helping Mr. Lockhart, she was from one of the colleges and she was doing a student teaching there and she never would call my name right so I corrected her and it was not nice the way I corrected her so Mr. Lockhart walked in and he said a lot of ugly things to me I didn't tell daddy because he wanted to know why was he speaking to you like that? 
how. He told me, whatever test you pass, said I'm going to put you flags all the way across the Fs. I went back. So that made me finish school a little early because I had more credits than I I could have gone, but I just I wanted to just walk across the stage anyway. And of course Taylor's granddaddy, he was older and he was in college. I had been seeing him since I was in high school and he had told me that he was gonna marry me. And he spent that time in college and then he came out and he told me he wanted to marry me. So, of course, I thought he was just so handsome. And he was a very smart person. And a given, he was just a good person. And I thought about it. I said, well, what else could I be looking for? So I married him. And of course, the results of my marriage was my two children, and the results of one of those children, here comes Taylor. He had a good granddaddy. He was, Taylor looks and acts a lot like his granddad. He really does. He was, I, I, I hate to have to say it myself, but he was very good guy. He wanted to help everybody. When we on the store over there, my husband, I think I had to be a little firmer because he wanted everybody that comes into the store picked up what they wanted to buy. Then he thought they should walk out with it. And he made him a list and let people sign it. Oh, that did not touch me real good. Not at all. But he did real good in helping the neighborhood. He helped the high school. He would go to sock. Whatever they needed, he would help. He was just a good person. Very good. Me, as a, a worker in my church, I have gone to the different businesses to see if they could do some things for my, for my church. And, I mean, the big business, Walgreens, CVS, and they all had some excuses. They never, they never contributed. So I said, well, I go to the funeral homes. And every funeral home I went to, they were very generous. Very. Black and Clark is over on Illinois. When I went there and asked, now my uncle, like my uncle, um, L. Cox, Reverend Cox, he was instrumental in helping Mr. Clark get started in his business. Of course, it's a history behind Mr. Clark. He started out with his uncle, but whenever he needed, or whatever he needed, Reverend Cox would help him. So consequently, that's where all of our business go, is to Black and Clark. So when I went there to get a donation, the ladies under new ownership now, the employees bought the business and some of the people that are there, I still know. But 
the lady that's the head of the funeral home, she first said she had given all she was going to give. And I didn't say anything. I told her, thank you. Maybe next time. So I don't know how that lady found my daughter's telephone number. But she called to my daughter and told my daughter to tell me that there would be a check now for me the next day. She said, I didn't realize who she was. I said, okay. So I went and picked that check up. <laughs> and of course, it was it's for our building. We're gonna do some building on our onto our church, so but it it, it was a, a gracious gift. And and this is the church that your uncle No no no. Okay, no. He was Pentecostal. <laughs> I am non-denominational. Mm. So I'm with Church of Living God. and uh, But I was raised as a Baptist. And there's a long story behind that. Why I'm there now. I, I did not attend my uncle's church. I only went there with his mother. We were members of Golden Gate Baptist Church in the bottom. And my grandmother would leave... Golden Gate from prayer service and we'd go to Alcantara's church because it was over on another street so we could walk there and he would bring us home, take us home at night but uh, my husband was uh, Church of Living God and of course I raised my children under the same same church that he was in and uh, I left my home church because I was raised in Golden Gate Baptist Church and uh, when my husband passed on, the pastor had changed in Golden Gate. So I wanted to have the funeral there. I wanted to use the sanctuary. And they never, the pastor never called me to talk with me about it. So his mother was in charge of everything. So she went ahead and made the arrangements. And of course, my church is not as big as Golden Gate. And um, my husband's funeral was so large, that's why I wanted to have it there. There were people standing around the wall. There was closed circuit TV in the fellowship hall in the kitchen, and people were standing in the hallway. It was just, it was a big funeral. And, of course, my grandson, at the time, I think he was 10 years old. And I was so shocked and so amazed that my grandson stood up there and spoke. We didn't know he was going to do that, but he did. I just, I don't know, it did something to me. That's awesome. My husband was so... He was involved, in it, and he helped so many people that would come through. He would help them. He just helped them. They had two dark buses. Two dark buses changed up their routes to go to my grandfather's funeral. Dark buses were there. The people from Dort, the bus drivers, that were bus drivers that were coming out the door. I mean. All of those people were there. I have cards now, 
and this was 17 years ago. I have cards now of where people sent me cards, and I couldn't, I won't let them go. I sit there and I, and sometimes I go through them and read them. Now, I know you a little bit better than Josh does. Yeah. So I can, uh, <laughs> I can, uh, whereas he might skate around, not even skate around, but I know some direct things that um, I would like to talk to you about. So growing up, you said East Oakland, but even more specific now with the way that the city is, Northeast Oak Cliff, 10th okay. Street neighborhood okay. Okay. of Freedman's Town. Yes. Growing up and going to Harley throughout, how often did you, your cousins, and your sisters and brothers interact with Caucasian individuals in the neighborhood? None. There weren't any. Mm-hmm. When did those interactions take place? Even in high school days, there weren't any interactions with the Caucasians. But I'm saying if you went grocery shopping or went, you know, on the yeah. street car you used to talk about, what was that? Oh, yeah. When, well, this is when I would ride the street car from Jefferson to South Dallas to see my uncle. And I rode the bus over from uh, 10th Street to downtown in front of the... Um, Greyhound bus station. What was your favorite place to sit on the bus? I was going to sit on the front seat. Was you supposed to do that? No. When you get on the bus, and see, there were no whites on the bus when I get on. So when he would stop and pick whites up, they would take a sign. It was white on one side, colored on the other side. They'd take it and move it. And so colored would be facing you, and you'd have to sit there. And I didn't, I didn't agree with that. And I tell them, and I, like I said, I'm, I was feisty. And I tell them, you go sit back there. You sit back there. I'm, I'm, this seat is mine. I'm not moving. And then when we, we would ride the streetcar from Jefferson to, because there were whites that were mingling up in Jefferson area. And they'd get on there, and they, of course they'd move the sign. I'm not going to move. My dad would tell me, you should move. I said, I don't think I should have to. I said, there are people just like me. And I didn't. What would y'all do for fun? As children? Children, teenagers, preteens. Okay. As children, as I told him when we first moved in the area, that was nothing but dirt streets. Uh, we would play softball. We'd play in the streets because there weren't many cars coming up and down that street because blacks didn't own cars. Now, my uncle had cars. My uncle Leon, they owned cars. So this was our way of transportation if we had to go to the store or something like that. But uh, we played hide and seek and marbles, mm -hmm. jacks. Mm -hmm. This was, and then we'd go to the movies on Saturdays. And how was the movie set up? 
on 8th Street, right there on the show hill, and we would go and go to the movie on Saturdays. That was a big thing. You spoke a little bit about where you were born and lived for four years. Mm-hmm. Your mother was born when? My mother was born in Navasota, Texas. What year? 1916. And how old, when, when was her mother born? Uh, I guess my grandmother was born in 1800. Mm-hmm. My great-grandmother was in Sunnybury. Mm-hmm. Her name was Cheney Simone. And I ask that because just putting in perspective to now, that was your great-grandmother, right? Mm-hmm. You my daughter's great-grandmother. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, when we look at it today and the way that certain things are, three generations isn't that much time. I was talking to someone this summer, and they told me that there's people at their school, which was Yale, that are six-generation Yale students. Mm-hmm. Just imagine that, six yeah. generations, yeah. not of just college, yeah. not of just college, but six generations of one of the most prestigious universities. When you waking up, let me get her before she cries. Um, I just wanted to ask those questions to be in context with with everything that's going on right now, mm-hmm. because you um, you spoke about W. T. White. Yeah, he would come come to our schools uh, sometimes. And when he came to the schools to visit, was he in favor? Do you think of integrating the schools or no. desegregating, no. or even giving the same? For example, what what were your textbooks like at Madison and at Harley? Uh, at Harley, the books, some of them had pages torn out of them. Some of them had scribbled all over the pages. You had to really be interested to know, to want to learn, to know what was going on. Mama dear, how far in school did she go? My mother went to the eighth grade. Mm-hmm. Your father went to what? Eighth they started working? Well, they worked during the time they at, at uh, they were sharecropping, giving so much money to the man that owned the land. And they would pick cotton, raise whatever produce that they were going to raise. Well, my granddaddy didn't like it for that long. He didn't want his children. Of course, they were grown, married, but you never... You never give up on your children. And he wanted better. So that's when we moved to Dallas. When W.T. White visited your school, what what was that like? It was, well, we had to go to the auditorium because W.T. White was coming. What he had to say to us, it didn't make sense to me. It was just some talk. Because mm-hmm. he, he wasn't, he was not interested in us. He was there for his dollar, and he had some ugly words to say before he went out as superintendent. Because I was in high school then, and uh, he wasn't a nice person. How did you feel about my mother? Because uh, she was one of the first groups of kids to be bust. How did you feel about that when they bust her the whole seat? Uh, and basically integrated them yeah. at that school. What, what was your thoughts? Well, I wanted the the, the best, best education for my 
my two children. Mm -hmm. So Kim, when they busted, that was a new school. That was a new school for her. Now my son, I sent him to private school. Mm -hmm. um, he finished from Bishop Don. When they bust, Kim, well, I had already taken Tony out of public school because they weren't very. The teachers would have my son. He was he was a I guess he was run by just like his mom. They have him sitting out in the hallway with books on his lap. Mm. And I was not a working oh poopy. Winnie, Winnie. And uh, Taylor, I think she's constipated or something. Taking a walk up. Where was I? When I saw him sitting there in the hallway smiling at me. Hey, Mama. And I said, okay, just sit there. And I went and got the principal. And I said, this is what I'm telling you. I had been there the day before. I said, this is what they do. I said, this is not what I send my son to school for. I said, he should be in the classroom with the books open. So I got tired of that. I was so anxious to get him out. I started him out and started him out in seven day Adventist. And from there I went to John twenty third. And from John twenty third, when he graduated middle school, I sent him to high school at Bishop Don. Did a good job. He got a he's got scholarships for college and and the the awards night Tony got uh, he got a lot of um, plaques and things, but he got the. It never happened at in the, at Bishop Don. He got the two Falcons. That was a trophy that they gave. He got the two. I said, "Oh my goodness!" I was proud of him. And my daughter is still going to school. Can you imagine? Wow. She she has never stopped. She's, oh, Kim is, I don't think I could be going because Kim, she has gone to school to be a personal trainer. She's gone to school to, you name it. Now she's working on her PhD. I'm proud of her. I'm very proud of her. So your son was in private school, mm -hmm. but but you sent her to the public school, public school. the whole uh -huh. way through. And yeah. So he mentioned she went to to Holsey, is that right? She went to Holsey. It was it was mixed mm -hmm. when they opened that school up, mm -hmm. and then she went right around the corner, the high school. They were going to send her to Sock uh, according to the boundaries, mm -hmm. but um, she ended up at uh, Carter. So she finished from Carter. And did she like it at those schools? Oh, yeah, she did. She didn't want to go to Sock. Mm -hmm. Because if they had sent her to Sock, I was going to put her in Bishop Dunn. I didn't want it. It was so terrible up there. Because the kids were sticking one another with knives. And my daughter wasn't used to stuff like that. No, I couldn't send her there. See, other kids had died from the school there on, uh, right there on Keast, and there was one on Illinois, I believe. Those were some bad schools. 
was it out of a window home? I didn't want my kids over there. No. Let me say this too, when when my daughter was in junior high, my husband bought her the ugliest little car. And he bought her, I think it was a Renault. Said, let's look backwards. And she loved that little car. So naturally she would pick there was a lot of kids in the neighborhood that went to that school. So she and her friends would uh, ride together. So really she didn't have to ride a bus because before she got the car, I was taking her. And when her, if she got old enough, her dad bought her a car. And when she went to Hulsa, she made, a, made friends with a lot of white students. A lot of her friends she still keep in contact with. White, black, whatever. She's in contact with them. She's got friends that live everywhere. Same when she went to college. She she has so many friends. Oh, my daughter. She has a lot of friends. She's more like a dad. I was to myself person. Mm-hmm. But her dad was very open with everybody. And when when people would walk into the store, he would, hello, neighbor. I mean, just so natural with him. He would just come out. And, and of course, he called all the ladies baby, honey, sugar. And he, can't, he couldn't do that now. Not with what's going on, no. Couldn't do it. But even the older ladies. And on Christmas, Benson would buy the great big peppermint sticks like that, you know. And he'd give every elderly lady that come in that store, he'd give her peppermint. Mm-hmm. A big peppermint. That was every year. He was very nice. This used to be a nice neighborhood. And this shopping center used to have Sears, J.C. Penney's, the um, DPS, a five and dime store, but everything has changed. I mean, changed. Now, when my husband owned the store across the street, he didn't allow any loitering. You couldn't stand just, just see these guys now. They'll get out and gamble right there on the sidewalk. He didn't know how that. He'd come out personally and escort you away. So he didn't have that problem. I think it's all in what you want to do. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the want that you have, the determination. Because my husband was determined um, to do he always wanted his own business. He worked for LTV, and after working for them, he didn't want to work for the public. So he opened his own business, and he he worked in that business until he died, and that was in the year 2000. Mm-hmm. He, we were there for about 30, 30 or maybe longer, the spirit that you have, you have to want it. If you don't want it, you're not going to get it. And, of course, my husband didn't want me to work. And he wanted to make sure 
that his family, like I said, when I met him in high school, that was a determined young man. And we, his family was so well cared for. We did not have to uh, get any student loans for my daughter. My son was on scholarships, but Kim, we, we never had to. We paid for her education. So consequently, she came out of, high, out of college not owing anybody. And she's a determined young lady like that, too. She's really like a dad. Oh, and I tell her, sometimes I say, hey, babe, let's, let's go, you know, somewhere. Mom, I got to study. I've got this test. And she said, next year I'll do my dissertation. I said, oh, my God, I don't say it, but I want to say it. Girl, when will you stop going to school? <laughs> Plus the fact she has her own business. Then she's she's teaching now. Tell me how many jobs have she had? <laughs> she was with the DA. She was with the um, oh my God the airlines. She was with uh, so many jobs. Kim, she's she's a go getter. She is. She's a go getter. I, I think my family was progressive. They were very. Because I know we had our family reunion this this past summer, and uh, I was to give the history of our because I'm the oldest living cousin, and I had to give the history of of Mark Cox, and my granddaddy was a tall, tall man. I think my granddaddy was six nine or somewhere because his daddy was seven feet, and he had a very soft voice, my granddaddy. And I would say, I told him, I said, he was, he was a giant with a gentle voice. I said, but when he spoke, you heard him. I said, and the foundation that he built for us. I said, his sons, and I gave every, every son, I said, what type of business that they were in. And I said, that's a foundation I said, we have built on that foundation, my generation. I said, and Mike Taylor's generation. I said, he's building, they are building. I said, that's something to be proud of. A man, my granddaddy with hardly no education. But up here is what counted. He wanted better for his children. He, he succeeded. Yeah. He succeeded. Awesome. Well, this has been great. I think I'm out of questions, but thank you so much for your time. Quite welcome. I've enjoyed talking. The Oral History of Margaret Benson was powered by The Commit Partnership and produced by me, Joshua Kumler. It was executive produced by me, along with John Hill and Rob Shearer. Mixed and mastered by Will Short. Music by Trevor Yokochi. Special thanks to Taylor Toynes and his entire team at Four Oak Cliff. You can check out a transcript of this interview, 
which was lightly edited for clarity but contains all of Mrs. Benson's responses, at our website, commit2dallas.org. That's two, like the number. If you or someone you know could also contribute to our collective historical understanding and sit down for a similar conversation, please reach out to info at commit2dallas.org. I would love to talk. This oral history is dedicated, of course, to Margaret Benson and to the many Coxes, Bensons, and Toynes who helped make Dallas what it is today. We'll be back with a new full-length episode next week on the miseducation of Dallas County. 